0: publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, News Bureau Chief for WFIU and WTIU. This week, we're gonna be uh, discussing The county health report that was put out recently, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation is um, part of the impetus behind this county health report. We'll be discussing the state of health in Indiana, especially uh, we'll we'll be looking at Scott County and other counties. Of course, Scott County was where the HIV outbreak began last year, and we'll talk about what's next for the state as well. So we have two guests with us uh, on the program. One is joining us from Madison, Wisconsin today, Julie Willems Van Dyke who's the co-director of the County Health Rankings and Roadmaps Program at the University of Wisconsin. And David Lorman is here with us in the studio. David is the chair of the Department of Applied Health Science at IU IU School of Public Health. If you wanna join the program today, the numbers are the same as always, 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington, or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area, or you can join the live chat wfiu.org slash and you can follow us on twitter at noon so thank you both for being here with us today we're happy to talk thank about you. happy to talk about these county health reports and uh, julie if we could start with you uh since you're the co-director of county health rankings and roadmaps and you worked on this study could you sort of give us uh, the background of the study how long has, has, has the rankings have been being done and um you know just sort of what they're trying to accomplish in general
1: Sure. So the county health rankings were first released back in 2010, and it was um, built on work that my colleagues here at the University of Wisconsin had done over the 2000s, ranking the health of Wisconsin's counties. For over um, 25 years, there's been an organization um, called United Health Foundation that has ranked the health of states, and it's a report called America's Health Rankings. But what we decided was it's really hard to walk out your door in the morning and say, what am I going to do to make the state of Indiana better? People walk out their door in the morning and say, how can I make my own community, my own neighborhood, my own city, my own county a better place to live? So by taking that concept of ranking from a state level to a local level, we really hope to empower people with this annual checkup of their community's health so that they can take action to improve health. Now, one thing I wanna add Mm -hmm. is when we say health, we don't just mean access to and quality of medical care. And that's what a lot of people think when they hear the word health. Um, While that's part of what we measure in the county health rankings, we look at a much more broad view of health because we know that to have long, high quality lives, which is what we measure in our health outcomes ranking, that you must not only look at access to medical care, but also at health behaviors, at social and economic factors, and the physical environment in order to really have a comprehensive view of the many factors that determine how long and how well we live.
0: So give me give me an example of a couple of things that people might not think about that you would measure and you would include in the rankings.
1: So um, I think... Over the last decade or so, people think a lot more about health behaviors. We know, of course, smoking affects our health. We know healthy eating, active living. You know, we're, we're starting to say a sedentary lifestyle is the new smoking. Um, so I think we've grown a lot in terms of thinking about health behaviors and how they affect health, but oftentimes when people look at this report, They will say to me, why do you have education data in here, like high school graduation rates? What does that have to do with health or unemployment rates or um, data about social connection or crime? Those are criminal justice issues or economic issues, not health issues.
0: And so what do you tell them when they ask you about, let's say, um, education data?
1: So we tell them based on our analysis of the many determinants that affect health, which is looking at research that's been done and a historical perspective that actually those social and economic factors like education and employment and community safety weigh more heavily than your medical care in terms of what determines health. Our model um, says that 40% of what determines how long and how well you live comes from social and economic factors. About 30% from health behaviors, about 20 percent from access to and quality of medical care, and about 10 percent from the physical environment.
0: Okay, I want to add, I want to bring David Lorman in. Now David is uh, Chair of the Department of Applied Health Science at the IU School of Public Health. So you've obviously looked at uh, some of this data and you've listened to what uh, Julie Williams Van Dyke has said from the University of Wisconsin. First, some observations of what she has already said, and then also some of your observations about the the data and the study.
2: Well, I, I think two things. You know, it's certainly um, health is determined by a lot of things. I fully agree that go beyond health care, and in fact, you know, my whole career has been on uh, health education, focusing on health behavior. And we've known for more than ten years. I, mean, I started in 1972 um, that health behavior is a real key, what people choose to do. But we also know that there are a number of social and economic factors that actually create the conditions or the ecology, their environment. So we've gone to a really ecological model of um, health, looking at various levels of influence and various things that determine not only, you know, that determine someone's health status, they can choose to behave in healthy ways, but does their environment support that and provide the resources for them to do that. So I think that's where a lot of these other factors uh, come in. Mm -hmm. I think another important thing is how do you use the data? And oftentimes, you know, like I read the newspaper reports this week, and it's, oh, well, for instance, Monroe County's ranking is somewhat worse than it had been in other years. Well, what does that really mean? And it's kind of like I-STEP scores, you're really proud of them when they're high but you're in trouble if they're low. And I don't think that's how these data are supposed to be used. They're really supposed to be used, one, to help you um, know your status, where are you. Um, they're to help you identify key issues that are going on in your community. Another thing is you know help you to, and then, then, but then you have to ask why. So one of the questions we asked about earlier, like Monroe County, had seemed to have an increase in sexually transmitted infections. Well, how is that data determined? Um, is it you know people who go for treatment in or testing and treatment in Monroe County, and are they Monroe county residents? Um, so if, we don't know we have a large college population, we have an Ivy tech campus i u campus, so what drives the data, what's the cause? Mm-hmm. Um, and until you figure that out, you really, you know, you just have numbers. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is it a trend? Mm-hmm. One year of data doesn't make a trend. You really have to look at multiple years of data. So I know another issue that has has come up is um, childhood poverty. It's basically children living in households that are below the poverty threshold, um, and it's, You know, it's a little bit higher in the new data, but if you look over three years, it's basically pretty much flat at about 19%. So to really understand that, you have to look at more than one data point. Mm -hmm. And I think the other important thing with the data is it's, I think, fundamentally, is supposed to inform policy makers, decision makers, about, okay, what are the things going on in our community, in our state, and you know, can we make any policy changes or resource allocation changes that'll help us to address those problems? You know, what are the highest priorities? Where are we going to get the best benefit from from that? And how does that affect? I think not only the health of the population, but also our economic viability, because fundamentally, public health and the health of the population is an economic development issue. Um, To give you an example, I had a conversation with a former uh, commissioner of public health in Indiana, and he said uh, the first questions he gets asked by someone who's a company that's going to, thinking of locating in Indiana, is do you have a right to know, a right to work act? The second one is what's the health status of your population? (laughs) What's the health status of our workforce? And what they're looking at If you have high obesity rates, high smoking rates, these kinds of things, health care costs are gonna go up. They're gonna be high for us. That's gonna affect our profits. The other thing is they're gonna cost our productivity. Okay, they're not gonna be there, it's absenteeism, there's presenteeism, they're gonna be there but not do their job, and so that's a cost. Their dependents are gonna be a cost. If their children are unhealthy, we're gonna pay for them now. If we have health insurance also, if their children are unhealthy, those are going to be our future workers. That's another issue. So health status, the population is crucial, I think, to economic development and economic well-being of a community, a county, and a state.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, uh, before I let Sarah talk, I want to go back to Julie really quickly just to get your reaction because there were a lot of, a lot of different issues that, that David sort of unpacked there.
1: Well, I would say David is... Very congruent with exactly how we think communities should use the county health rankings. Let me go back to the point about the rankings comparison from year to year. Um, We really discourage communities from comparing their ranking from one year to the next. This is a moment in time snapshot. And so it's a comparison to how other counties in your state are doing this year. But it if your ranking goes down that does not necessarily mean your health is getting worse because remember rankings are relative it depends on what all the other 91 counties in indiana uh, that what their progress is as well so ranking in and of itself is not a good measure of progress okay Mm -hmm. Um, it's a good measure of relative to the other 91 counties in indiana on these 35 measures how is your county doing um, right now so that's one very important point i also strongly agree with him that looking at trend data over time is really important and as one of my great colleagues here says two points of data do not make a trend (laughs) Um, so we need to look at at, um, trends over time And one of the things we've done with the County Health Rankings to support that is if you go to countyhealthrankings.org and click on the map of Indiana and then click on your county. So, for example, I'm looking at the snapshot for Monroe County right now. You'll see a column in that county that says trend data and so for a number of measures where we have stable data over at least a decade, we've given you um, a uh, trend line and some further data. So for example, even though Monroe County's ranking was a bit lower this year than last year, um, if you look at the trend line for premature death, which is a really good measure of how long and how well people are living, you will see that over time Monroe County is getting better for that measure. And you'll also see that there. That you're doing better than Indiana and better than the US in general for that that particular measure um, and likewise as David said you see the opposite in terms of sexually transmitted infections and so going to David's point about you need to understand what that means is absolutely you know the county health rankings are a starting point for conversation. You notice I called this the snapshot. Mm -hmm. I didn't call it the comprehensive picture of everything that you'd always ever want to know about Monroe County. And another resource we have on the County Health Rankings website to help people do that is a tool called using the rankings data that helps talk people through the data on the report and then also helps direct people to a wide variety of other resources that are available to both help them understand you know, other data sources about communities and uh, our Roadmaps to Health Action Center that provides guidance for how communities would take action to improve this. So really great points um, that I would reinforce are an appropriate way to use the data.
3: Is it appropriate? One of one of the things I know we've done in some of our reporting is comparing, you know, some of the absolute best counties and some of the the counties that rank at the bottom. Just to mm-hmm. kind of look at why is there this big gap? I'm wondering um, if in your research, if you, if you do deep dive at all to try to get to the why behind that, like why, for example, Hamilton County, you know, ranks really high in, in some things, and Scott County is at the bottom, for example. Well,
1: yeah great so you know again within a given year comparing the data um to each other so for example comparing the data in hamilton county and scott county is absolutely appropriate it is consistent and so um we do annually put out um, a key findings report that does some of that kind of analysis on a national level um and what we will often find is that not surprising in those areas that weigh most in terms of what affects health you see significant differences between the healthiest and the unhealthiest counties and states and so um, and in fact one of the things we did this year in our key findings report is look at counties grouped based on the type of county that they were. So we did a comparison of counties that would be classified as urban counties, suburban counties, small metro counties and rural counties. And so um Hamilton County um I would say sus- is a suburban county, right? Right. And of course Scott County is a rural county and so what we found nationally was um that the health of rural counties bears worse than all other three types of counties, large, suburban, small metro, and urban. But what was probably even more startling to us as we looked at the trend over the last 15 years is you we have seen significant declines in premature death for the smaller metro, for the suburban, and particularly for urban counties, really significant declines. However, for the rural counties, we have not seen that same kind of decline. And in fact, it looks like we're even starting to, well, we are seeing an uptick that it's not even, it's not just that it's not getting better, it's actually getting worse in one out of five rural counties, that rate of premature death. So very alarming. And very consistent with what you see in Indiana, which is um, suburban counties, small metro counties doing better than many of the rural counties in your state.
3: And David, perhaps you can talk to that. Just when we're talking about these rural counties and not faring as well, how big of an issue is access in these areas? Like, you know, access to facilities where you can exercise, access to grocery stores, I'm thinking food deserts and
2: it's all of those things it's also things like you know opiate and uh you know drug abuse methamphetamine um access to care i mean one of the things i don't know if it was this year i was looking at data a couple years ago is for instance there were less places to buy alcohol in rural communities versus urban but people drove more miles well, if you have to, you, know, you kind of look between the data, you have to drive further to get your alcohol in a rural area than you do in an urban. Well, that puts you at more risk for an an accident. Um, you know, the, the grocery stores or the, um, you know, the quick stops at the four-way intersection usually don't carry a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables, um, a number of things like that. Kids, I work with children. You know, we know that in urban areas sometimes kids don't go go out to play because it's not safe. It's the same, it can be the same thing in rural areas. You'd think they're in this wonderful, pristine place and yet parents will say, don't go out until I come home. And parents, you know, the same things are going on. That you might have two parents working um, and they might get home at six o'clock. The kids get home from school at three o'clock. What are they doing in that time? They might probably sitting there doing video games there are a lot of just a lot of issues, but certainly you know education level, um, access to any number of um, things and just other variables that come in with being in rural areas all have an impact on health.
3: is that why we have this? It seems like in Indiana, there is this really, really large gap between poor health and um and and good health, is that because the state is so different in terms of these big rural populations and then of course we have Indianapolis and South of Gary and...
2: Yeah, it's called health disparities. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You look at, you know, education is a huge part. Um, You know, I've I've worked in a number of different states. My wife's from upstate New York and uh, one of the poorest counties in New York and you know, the kids who do really, really well in school don't live there after they're done school. Uh, it's the same thing, I think, in Indiana. Uh, I think one of the things we need to do is to pay more attention to the kids who get you know, Bs and Cs in school um, because they're kind of the backbone of our community. They're the ones that are gonna stay there. They're the ones who need jobs. Um, they're the ones who need really you know, good, um, not only K-12 education, but something beyond that. Um, because, again, they're, they're the ones who stay in these communities. Education is a key factor. I think there have been some studies published that show that your education <coughs> level is one of the strongest predictor of your life, lifelong health and your life expectancy. So, again, there are a lot of different factors to consider in. So in this first half of our program, we've
0: been sort of ping-ponging between our two guests who are both giving us uh, ex- Extremely valuable information and, uh, to me, fascinating information about these county health rankings. Uh, If you want to join us in the second half of the program, if you have questions about how you can make your community more healthy or uh, a little bit more about how these health rankings are determined or just anything uh, that you want to talk with Julie Willems Van Dyke or David Lorman about, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811. Here in Bloomington or one 285 9348 from outside of the Bloomington area. You can join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
4: This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org.
0: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, and I'm joined by Sarah Whitmire, our my co-host and the News Bureau Chief of WFIU and WTIU, and we are talking with Julie Willems Van Dyke, the co-director of the County Health Rankings and Roadmaps Program at the University of Wisconsin, and David Lorman, the chair of the Department of Applied Health Science at Indiana University's School of Public Health here in Bloomington, and we're talking about the county health rankings, which came out, a couple weeks ago, and uh, both – Sarah's stations and uh, our newspaper have been covering these if you want to join us and talk about how you can make your community healthier and some of the factors that go into these health rankings give us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348 you can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition and you can follow us on twitter at noon edition we've been talking a lot about how to uh, try to use these rankings and some of the maybe mistakes that could be made if you look at them on too much of a surface level and i know before the program started uh, david and i were talking a little bit about how you can look at indiana and you can be the you know the number 25 ranked county in indiana or the number 30 ranked county out of 92 in indiana and perhaps you're not particularly a healthy county when you compare yourselves to the rest of the states across the nation. So David, you know, could you sort of, I mean, that, that was probably not very articulate uh, description of what you, you had said to me, but talk about the, you know, how, how you know, the county rankings within a state are one thing, but then if you take the whole state and look at how the rankings compare to other states, it might mean something totally different.
2: Yeah, you can be a healthy county within your state, but how does your state rank within the country and indiana doesn't do very well um we're 41st overall um we're 44th in smoking the number one is the best we're 44 so we're you know in the top six we have 20 almost 23 percent population smokes we're 22nd in low low birth weight um we're 44th in obesity so right there with smoking at about 33 percent of the population u.s is at 30%, Um, drug deaths were number 35, physical inactivity were 41, air pollution were 47, and um, children living in poverty were 35. One of the other statistics is that in public health spending, we're 48. We spend $39.05 per person, per citizen annually in Indiana for public health. I looked at the the best states, Hawaii's number one, who knows why that is, but um, they spend about $204, which is quite a bit more than we do. But Vermont and and Massachusetts are number two and three, and they spend about $101 per citizen. That's about two and a half times more than Indiana, but $101 per person annually isn't a lot of money. In Indiana, what we What we spend per person is equivalent to about eight packs of cigarettes, um, four 12 packs of beer, eight Big Mac meals, uh, 10 Starbucks lattes. And cigarette smoking costs the state about $16 a pack in healthcare costs and lost productivity. We collect a dollar, so that's $15 Each pack costs us. Three packs of cigarettes wipes out our public health spending per person. So you you have to look. (laughs) So why are we 41st? Well, there are a lot of things that go to that. Perhaps public health spending is one of those factors. Mm -hmm. So, Julie, I
0: wanted to sort of turn this toward the, the Roadmaps program a little mm-hmm. bit because, you know, Dave has just sort of explained, we here in Indiana are you know obese and we smoke a lot and we're not all that healthy. So, um, right. you know, but some communities do better than others. I mean, I could point to some programs here in Monroe County in Bloomington. There's one called Achieve, which, you know, basically Achieve's uh, mantra or slogan is to, you know, make the healthy choice the easy choice. Right. You know, so, it, it's a, a program that's been, I think, fairly successful. But, you know, what are some other things that communities can do to help improve, you know, the quality of the health, you know, at the local level?
1: Great. Well, I'm really happy you, m- you mentioned the um, roadmap to health portion of um, county health rankings and roadmaps uh, because it is exactly why we put this data in this way out into the world is to encourage people to take action. So if you go to our website at countyhealthrankings.org and and click on Roadmaps to Health, you'll see we describe um, a take-action cycle. Um, If you look at it, it'll look like a strategic planning cycle if you're a business person. It'll look like a community health improvement cycle if you're a public health person. My background is in nursing, and I look at it, and it looks like the nursing process to me. But it's basically encouraging communities to start with the data. The, and it's not just this number data, this quantitative data, but it's also data from your community because many times people in your community know what's happening before it shows up in the numbers. Um, and so start with the data. Work with other people in your community because we know if we think about all these different factors that influence health, it can't be solved by just healthcare care providers or public health practitioners. Those are important partners in the process, but we need our business leaders, our economic development leaders, our education leaders, our elected officials, all coming together to think about how we can move health forward in our communities, set priorities, choose evidence-informed policies and programs, implement them, and continuously evaluate them. We really encourage people to do very much like what your Achieve group is doing, which is look at the data and decide where are the most important things to focus on in your community and take action customized to your community. And we encourage people to really look at the relative weight of those different health factors in, their, um, in the rankings model to think about where they might want to target action. So, for example, smoking, as David has referenced, has a huge impact on causing people to die early and a huge impact financially on your state, coffers, on business leaders' um, bottom line in terms of their health care costs. And so um, tobacco, if tobacco is an issue in your community, based on that relative weight and the relative impact it has, could be a really important place to focus. But if your community has already made a lot of progress in tobacco, then you might want to look in a different place. We also really encourage people to think about those social and economic factors. I can tell you a story of a community in Spokane, Washington. Their health department led a community health assessment. And they came together with stakeholders from across the community to look at the data. and. What that community came out looking at was saying our high school graduation rate is 60%. If we're going to bring businesses into this community, if we're going to sell ourselves on having a well-prepared workforce, if we're really going to be prepared for the 21st century, if we're going to have our kids go on and get jobs, which is important to have the kind of money you need to buy housing and health care and healthy food to have a healthy life, we've got to address this 60% graduation rate. And so the high school graduation rate actually became a public health rallying cry for the whole community, and they brought the Chamber Mm. of Commerce in and, of course, the educational system in and public health and worked on a variety of factors. And they used data to look at why were kids dropping out and why were, you know, and discovered, actually, if you – look back at truancy or absenteeism in elementary school, you can predict who's going to be the children who are less likely to finish high school. And so they've taken it to really focus on how can we support um, and identify absenteeism early and then support children and their families to be sure they're getting to school um, amongst a variety of other interventions. But um, I, I hope that's helpful in thinking about It's really unique for every community, so it's not as easy for me to say, you know, here's strategy A, B, and C, and every community should do them, but really taking a look and seeing where are the biggest needs in our community, where are people willing to put efforts forward, and um, where's the most evidence about what will be most effective and how we can move that forward as well.
3: How important is it to get the, the state involved, though, so we're not just doing it as a community level? I mean, if we're talking about, say, in particular STIs and, and looking at even Scott County, if we're talking about rural counties that don't have a lot of access to resources, it seems like you're going to need to go a little higher and try to get those resources.
2: Well, two things come into play. One is that I think in Indianapolis, they recognize some of the health problems, smoking, obesity, and so on. There just isn't a lot of Uh, will to do anything different than we're doing already Um, so that's an issue I think in Indiana you know what I tell people is it's going to have to happen at the local community and what she's been saying is absolutely spot on that um, you know there are communities that do organize that do figure it out who um say that it's these things are really important and they form foundations or whatever it takes and they they figure out how to fund it as well locally because resources are crucial I think one of the really great takeaways from Scott County uh, and you know I wasn't involved one of my uh, faculty members uh, Beth Meyerson did a uh, just unbelievably unbel- great job um, Helping that county and helping to organize with a lot of partners from CDC to local community agencies to the public health nurses in Scott County to the the Indiana State Health Department. One of the things I came up with was a one stop shop. And um, so what they did was people, well, you know, we need to have health insurance. We need to be able to get, um, you know, food stamps and all these kinds of things. Well, to get those, I have to have identification. Um, you know, be nice to have a job and so on. So what they did is they brought representatives from different state agencies together in a one-stop shop so somebody could go in and get a copy of their birth certificate or get a driver's license and then they could, once they had that, they could get health insurance or whatever. Um, And there was a, uh, we had a a AIDS day December 1st where we had a panel um, that discussed all of this. It was, you know, great experience to listen to what they did. But I'm sitting in the audience, I'm, I'm wondering, why isn't this just the way we do business? Why do we have to have an emergency, a catastrophe, in order to come up with a one-stop shop as a strategy that really was beneficial to the community? Why don't we have that in every county? Because it's, you know, we know we can do it. But I think it's with Scott County, okay, we went in, we did it, we've addressed it, and now, mm-hmm. We go away because you have to have this long-term sustainability. You can't address any of these things unless you've got, you know, the grit, the the stick-to-itiveness over a period of time because it took a long time for these health problems to develop, and it takes a long time to address them to try to, one, stop the increase and then to try to get them to drop.
3: And I guess that was part of my question, too, though, is because Scott County did end up eventually getting to a point where all these outside folks ended up coming in and providing that help because it just doesn't seem like these rural communities have the resources to do this on their own. So I think that's what
2: I was also... Well, part of it's capacity building. And it's amazing the talent that's in every community. I mean, I've worked in a number of different states. I've lived in a number of different states. I remember years ago in Syracuse, that a mom, who would tell you she didn't graduate high school, was concerned about this drug issue, and she, got activated and got her friends involved and um, went to the right people and got a policy change and a law changed because she was just passionate about this issue. So, you know, every every community has its leaders. Um, every community has people who want to work. Again, I used to work in a school district where we had a wellness program and some of our leaders were a custodian, a food service worker, and a bus driver because they really wanted to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, what's a talent? And, but you have to make health a priority. And I think that was you know a import, very important point is that when the community figures out the well-being of the entire community is, the foundation is the population health and then they make it a priority and activate around that, a lot of other good things happen too.
0: We uh, would like to hear from you, our listeners, 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington, or one 285 9348 outside of Bloomington, or you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, or you can follow us on Twitter, at noon edition. You know, I referenced uh, that Achieve group earlier, and I, I, it struck me when you were talking, um, David, about the long-term, and, and Sarah both, about the long-term importance of these issues, because Achieve doesn't want to be called a program or an initiative or anything else, because it's not something with a beginning and an end. It's, uh, you know, as I said, trying to Create um, policies, programs, systems, put put them in place where it's easy for people to do the best thing for their their health, and I think that's you know just a, a point to to continue to to hit on. So I wanted to ask uh, you know Julie about you know how, how do you sort of make this into uh, um, you know a a life changing sort of um, what just a a change of lifestyle, I guess.
1: hmm hmm Well, I think that's why um, a movement, let me call it, like <laughs> Achieve, um, since we don't want to call it a program, um, is really striving to achieve when they say we want to focus on policy, environment, and systems change. Um, as I reflect on my career as a nurse and think, for example, about how, culture has changed around tobacco use. Um, When I became a new nurse in the 80s, everybody smoked in hospitals. Um, Patients smoked in their beds in hospital rooms. Doctors and nurses smoked in the, the break room on the unit in the hospital. When I tell new nurses today that that's what the environment in the hospital was like when I was a new nurse, They look at me like I'm a dinosaur (laughs) because they can't imagine a world where people smoke in hospitals. And, in fact, we're moving to a world where over half the states in the nation have eliminated smoking from pretty much every public place, from workplaces, from restaurants, from bars, um, and increasingly even outdoor public places like parks stadiums and places like that. And so I think part of what goes to your question, Bob, is how do we change culture? And part of how we change culture is changing norms through policies. Now, that change in how we viewed tobacco was not achieved overnight. It's still not done because there are places where smoking is allowed in public places. In fact, I think in some places in Indiana that is Mm -hmm. probably still the case. Um, but it happens because we start to change attitudes, and through changing attitudes, we change policies, often voluntarily. I know when I led this type of work in a local northern Wisconsin community, we started with saying to employers and restaurants, make your work site or your restaurant smoke-free just by your own policy choice for your own business. Um, And we gained a certain amount of momentum with that and then realized we weren't going to get any farther and made the pitch to do it at a governmental level with a public policy. Um, And so I think there's that variety of ways where you can start, and I'm just using tobacco as one example, but you saw in Spokane, Washington, how they changed the norm around whether it was acceptable for children to drop out of high school. We've seen communities across the nation changing the norm about, for example, access to early childhood education, that, you know, for many, many years, we assumed kindergarten was the right time to start education for children, and what we're learning through more research about the development of the brain is that those years before, we're, we're almost way too late to start education at five years old and need to be starting with children much earlier to maximize the
0: power of their brains. Um, Indiana's so pretty we, far behind on yeah. that. We've had programs on that before.
2: Can I interject yeah. too that we need <laughs> to start health education and health promotion with families with young children? Because influencing physical activity patterns and, and eating patterns at five is too late. It actually starts yeah. prenatal. Um, it starts, it's, you know, for the mother, and then right away with, birth, with, with breastfeeding and, and so on, right on through, when if kids get to five and we 're starting to try to do the school food service program and so on and, and nutrition education to influence those eating patterns it 's almost too late, mm-hmm. and so you know health and education again go together, and school readiness a lot of it is based on social and emotional learning skills that 's mental health and you know it should be a really important part of preschool education is getting kids the Interpersonal and social skills they need to function in a school, because if they don't have those, they get in behavior problems. You know, sometimes they get labeled special education. Um, all kinds of things happen. So, you know, I I couldn't agree more that we need to focus on preschool. But it's not just the education part; it's the health part.
0: Wanted to ask just to to bring up another uh, public policy that that certainly has received a lot of uh, received a lot of headlines in the news. At one point, it was when Mayor Bloomberg was looking at his you know his big gulp policies in mm-hmm. New York City, and I, I guess I just wanted to get your your reaction to that because of course there was a lot of a lot of pushback on that and a lot of hey you're you know you're that's my choice you're taking that away. It reminded me a lot of you know early discussions about not being able to smoke in public. So, so, Julie, uh, you know, your, your reaction to, to policies like that, are they part of this solution, or is it more, it just has to be more about education?
1: I think what policies do is change the environment in which health behavioral choices are made. And that was a point David referenced earlier in the program that I really agree with. So a policy that focuses on the size of a beverage that can be served, or taxes on foods at a higher level than um, healthier foods are all policies that are intended to change the environment to drive the behavioral choices. And we know that just talking to people and educating them without changing the environments around them results in a pretty low uptake of that education. Um You know, I can give you a great example. And when I led a local health department, we used to have this snack bar in our health department. And if there were chips and chocolate there, people were going to eat them. And over time, as we thought about what we were teaching about obesity and what we were encouraging people to do in terms of making healthy um, choices in terms of their food, we switched out our snack bar from chips and um, candy bars to fresh fruits and vegetables and Popcorn and things, uh, nuts and things that were more had more nutritional value to them, um, and immediately just changes people's choices because the environment is different. So, um, I think public policy can be very important for helping change that culture environment. The same thing happened with smoking. I mean, again, we started with um, institutional choices around making things smoke free, and moved to public policy choices. Um, Now, I will say, in the smoking versus policies around obesity, people, you know, I've spoken with a lot of libertarian people who say, I can accept the smoking and the secondhand smoking issue because your choice to smoke affects the air that I breathe, but I can't accept government making a decision about what I put into my mouth because that's really only affecting me. So there's a counter argument to how these public policies can be different. But as you know, David was talking about before, when you think about the cost of obesity to society as a whole, you know, there could be an argument made that your choice to eat unhealthy and increase your risk of obesity, which increases your risk of a variety of other health issues that are paid you know, all of our health care costs are paid by a pool of people bigger than just us is an issue where that affects others.
0: All right. We have about five minutes to go. Sarah? I don't,
3: I, I don't know if, if you'll be able to answer this, but with HIP 2.0 and more folks in Indiana getting insurance under that, I'm wondering if, if perhaps we're going to see some, see an impact from that. Are you hopeful? or?
2: <laughs> oh, I think we ought to. But, again, the issue is access. You can have health insurance, um, but if you if you have to drive a long distance to get a doctor, or you can't get into a doctor's <laughs> office, or the same thing with a dentist or whatever, then it, it becomes more difficult. I think absolutely we should see an improvement in population health with with point oh two, but we you know we don't you know we we anticipate that, but there are other factors that come in. Having health insurance helps you to be able to pay uh, and to have your your costs covered. I think another important part of it is it it covers preventive health, you know, preventive visits. So things like immunization and and so on, um, testing, colonoscopies, checking your your blood lipids and all those things are going to be available to people that weren't before. And that's all important information for individuals to have to make decisions about their own health. If you find out, for instance, from a blood test that you're pre-diabetic, um, you may be more inclined to go to the you know diabetes prevention program at the Y than if you didn't have that information. So again, they're all linked, but but access is a crucial factor, especially when you're talking about rural communities.
0: I want to ask both of our guests to sort of drive the last couple minutes of the program here. So what, what's the last takeaway you'd like for our, our listeners to have about, about uh, their communities and about being more more healthy? So, Julie? Well,
1: what I really want your listeners to take away is that The county health rankings and roadmaps is intended not to discourage you, even if you're the least healthy county in your state. I know people in Scott County, and I know they have used this information to think about how they can not only to think about, but to take action about how to make their community a healthier place. And so um, this isn't all doom and gloom. This is a place where, empowered with information, People can step forward, and as David referenced earlier, anybody in the community, the janitor, the bus driver, the teacher, the nurse, the doctor, the mayor, can step forward and say, let's pull together to make our community a healthier place and do it in a way that's unique to us that will move us forward. Okay.
2: David, one minute. I just want to go back to the how do you get people to behave in healthy ways and the the mantra is make the healthy choice the easy choice and things even like at snack bars placement we know when we put where you put the the options makes a difference if you put the candy bars at the beginning people make that choice and they get to the apple and they say oh I would have taken the apple if I'd known it was there so this is what it, I meant really early in the conversation about creating an environment where people who choose to be healthy can have can sustain that choice. Um, the other thing is a, a part of, you know, smoking is one issue, eating and physical activity is another. There's this whole movement called nudges, and actually the Obama administration has adopted that. It's not so much to have policies that make people do things; it's that nudge them in the direction of doing healthier things or you know better financial management or whatever so again it's helping people to do that i think the other issue around norms is part of the issue with norms is that we have a skewed perception So sometimes kids will think, for instance, everybody smokes. Well, no, it's only like a small percentage. So really for people to understand what are the social norms, what is normal within your community, and that helps them again to make that healthy choice and adopt a healthy lifestyle.
0: Thank you very much to David Lorman, uh, Chair of the Department of Applied Health and Science at IU, uh, the School of Public Health. And thank you to Julie Willems Van Dyke for being here with us from the University of Wisconsin. For Sarah Whitmire, Sophia Salaby, and Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.
4: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.
0: Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life, publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity Company, fiber internet, HD and digital IPTV in southern Indiana.
4: More information at smithville.com.